podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Hey gang, Nat here. Favour to ask. We are up for an award. Yep. <laughs> it took me a while to uh, work out quite how the hell that happened. But we are. The Sports Podcast Awards, no less. We are nominated in unsurprisingly, the NFL category for best NFL pod. How about that? How about that? So help us out, please, if you can. If you got, I reckon it takes about 45 seconds. That's my guess. To head on over to sportspodcastawards.com. You got to register, register your email and vote for us as your favorite NFL show. It's going to help us because quite frankly, we like a bit of chest puffing. But also, if we win that award, we think we've got a better shot of getting Drew Locke, Joe Judge, maybe even Urban Meyer on the show next season. And that is our wish list for next season, as you all well know. So head on over to sportspodcastawards.com, sportspodcastawards.com and vote for the show. Appreciate it. Hi, Mike. Good to see you. Particularly good to see you because I'm hoping you can clear something up. I caught up with Shefty just before we started recording. Ian Rappaport sent me a WhatsApp a bit earlier on. And then your agent sent me conflicting information. So Shefty and Rappaport said, that's it. You're done. You're hanging them up. But then your agent very quickly issued a rebuttal saying, no, no, no. Mike hasn't made a decision yet. So can you, for NFL UK Nation, clarify where I and Mike is at right now? No, I'm certainly haven't made a decision yet. There's a lot of lot of things that go into making such a decision. And, you know, I've been doing this this job on, on British media for, I don't know, 25 years or something like that. It's a good career. But, you know, after a time, people just start to look at you as being stale or male or whatever. And, um, you know, I, I just think uh, once I discuss it with my multimillionaire supermodel wife, we'll, um, oh, right, I don't have one of those. Um, that's probably what's holding up the decision. <laughs> that would be it. We, but there is a similar to the TB12 brand. I'm sure there's an, an MC. Iron Mike. I am. I am. I am 44. We'll go. Iron 7. What number did you wear in college? What was uh, 83. I am 83. There you go. Yeah. You 82 in high school, 83 in college. I really wanted 83 and they gave them out alphabetically and Mark Blaustein, who was just in front of me, wouldn't trade, wouldn't trade jerseys. And the oh. coaches didn't want you to trade jerseys, which is why he wouldn't do it. Oh, is it goody? As usual, I didn't much care what the coaches yeah. were. <laughs> why doesn't that surprise me at all? Uh, just a little bit to get into on today's show, I Mike. Oh, uh, I, I thought you were going to start off with TB12. <laughs> well, well, shall we? Should we, should we go? Uh, should we go? Let's go with Brady, first of all, because... Just get it out of the way. Get it out of the way. Yeah. What? What's, uh, what's there left to be said? I mean, it was extraordinary how it played out, you know, and the the, the generation we're in now and the, the the rate at which it spread. And then, as I say, people stepping in saying, no, it's not the case. And obviously his father got involved too, as well as his, his agent. And it seems to be that it's happening, but it was all about the control of the message and the fact that it wasn't in Brady's control. He wanted to make the announcement and have this formalized reveal, uh, probably not LeBron style, but uh, nevertheless wanted... Uh, to to call the shots and he wasn't able to do that. I think that's why we had this flurry of activity and this confusion. Are you surprised though that he has decided to, to walk away after the season he's had? Uh, not really, uh, because w- when I look at it and try to put it into perspective, and you know, immediately on the retirement, there was this flood of anti 
anti-Brady, um, you know, including the the tweets about the luckiest quarterback of all time. I think you, you couldn't know, make it up there. He's, he's no Joe Flacco, you know, and that kind of that no kind of thing. Flacco. But, you know, um, I wrote a piece. It's on Medium if you want if you want oh, to nice. chase it down. But I wrote a piece about Brady and, and the concept of luck taking it on from what we said a couple of weeks ago, I think, which I was talking about the, the famous quote from um, um, Branch Rickey, yeah. luck is the resident of design. It just happened that I found a quote in a short story written by my American studies professor um, about Jewish immigrants and, and the guys addicted to poker and, and poker puts his idea of luck versus skill in, into perspective. And it's perfect. It's, it absolutely describes Tom Brady. You know, it's kind of like if you're diligent, if you if you work hard, if you're intelligent, if you're modest, um, you know, you put yourself in a position to take advantage of luck when it when it shows mm. um it was and it, it was it was great because i think that describes that describes everything um basically about brady's career but, but the last two years in tampa he's got his super bowl there proving that you know he's not a a bill belichick creation yeah. um he's also for the last two years basically done a peyton manning where He's thrown and thrown and thrown and racked up a ton of yardage, in effect, proving he could have done this in the past if if that had been the way to win. But it wasn't yeah. the way to win necessarily, apart from when they had Randy Moss um, and they won with, you know, his best receivers were what? David Givens, you know, uh, Troy Brown. Yeah. Uh, Welker, you know, Lattley, I guess. Yeah. Reche, yeah. Reche Caldwell, uh, Edelman and Welker and, and yeah. tight ends and Gronk and, you know, yeah. but you know, he, apart from Moss, he never really had the big downfield receiving threat. So, yeah. you know, I think he's done everything he needs to do. Now he might argue, you might argue looking at the, you know, looking at the um, the lay of the land in the NFC with Rodgers probably leaving with Breeze, obviously already gone with Sean Payton now already gone. Tampa I, right now, I would say I don't care who's quarterback, in Tampa, they're probably going to win the division again. Yeah. You know, next year, unless there's some major, major change or improvement in Atlanta especially so you know it might be a tempting situation that way but i don't think he's got anything left to prove um i guess they've got one. work to do on that because that's a great point that and and we'll connect with rogers as well as he said he doesn't want to go to a developmental side so he's only therefore if he's going to carry on playing go to do a contender and same thing with brady i think if he was going to go for one more round you'd figure well he's got to be confident that there's enough around him. And this was was obviously the issue in, in New England latterly, right? He didn't feel that there was enough investment and, and, and enough talent offensively. And I guess that's the issue perhaps with the Bucks, with Gronk leaning towards retirement as well. If Brady, yeah, if Brady, if if Brady goes, Gronk's gone. Yeah, and right. Gronk, I think Gronk's probably gone anyway. Anyway, and I wonder whether that was something to do with it with Brown Gronk. I mean, Godwin will be back, but yeah, whether Brady thought, mm, am I going to have enough around me? Uh, yeah, and, and you know, everybody said, oh, he only won in Tampa because they built a star system around him. Well, nobody seems to be saying that about Matt Stafford. Um, I have <laughs> right. not. I literally have not heard it once. You know yeah. that Stafford's going into this great situation with big weapons. And, and this year, Brady proved, you know, the stars were lost. 
Mm. You know, Evans played the season, half the season injured. Mm. Um, Gronk is basically a, a creaking version of, of old Gronk, you know, and, and can turn it on a few times a game um, and, and in the playoffs. But I don't know what he has left to prove. So, yeah. so that, would be, that would be my argument again. I think you're absolutely right that he probably had actually made a decision and was intending to. And somebody along the line who knew that he was intending to, to do that leaked it to Neither, I don't think it was Schefter. I think it was the other guy because they Rappaport, released. I think was it, yeah. No, um, oh. there was no, he released it jointly. Schefter released his original, tw- and that's the name of the mm. game. Is everybody's got to be first, and if you spoil somebody's life, you know that's insignificant because you've got collateral uh, of, damage. Yeah, uh, you know, collect minutes, clicks, uh, <laughs> you know, clicks, yeah. ag- clicks against people. Um, <laughs> Schefter and the tweet guys, uh, Rappaport, and all remind me of this line. I, I was rereading a G- George Higgins novel, Sandra Nichols Found Dead, and this state police lieutenant's talking to Jerry Kennedy, the lawyer, who's the main character. And um, he's talking about his testimony and he says, look, I'm not allowed to make things up. I'm not some newspaper man, you know, making up stuff about total strangers never did a thing to me. <laughs> and I just thought, I just thought, yeah, that's perfect. Those guys, you know, never did a thing to me, but I'm going to, I'm going to get you, you know, it's tabloid journalism, it's Twitter, it's all that stuff. So, yeah, I, I think Brady probably wanted to tell, you know, to tell the Bucks to do something with the Bucks to not hog, try to hog the spotlight too much, but hog it nonetheless on a day when it was available to be hogged, um, where nobody would accuse him of hogging it. So, um, you know, the best laid plans of uh, mice and men gang <laughs> after Glay. So Brady looks like he's gone. Be, although you never bloody know in this game, and you never quite know with him that, you know, come June and an opportunity arises. Seeing as we mentioned Rogers and the Nathaniel Hackett appointment, and at the end of the show, we'll talk about some of the other coaching, okay. uh, coaching decisions. But as that came up, Hackett to the Broncos, obviously the two have a great relationship. Uh, a great Ian Rappaport <laughs> and uh, there is, uh, has been inevitably everybody joining the dots because the Broncos are an aforementioned contender. There was hype about him maybe going there last off season and they need a quarterback uh, certainly would grab the chance of, of getting a player like Rogers. Do you think that that has become the most likely destination. I'm not sure I'd go as far. I think as it was that. beforehand. I mean, I, and I think I've said it before here, simply because Denver's a loaded roster. Mm. Um, and uh, it doesn't fit his previous, um, de- not demands, but requirements that it be, you know, a somewhere media friendly where he could go into the media business because obviously his media career has somewhat stalled based on his um uh overdose of ivermectin or, yes. or whatever whatever yes. it was um and you know and i i don't <laughs> think i don't think the virus carries as well at high altitude so Very so he's, he, he's probably got that uh yeah. cover covered too so yeah i think and i think that's what hackett's higher probably signals um although you can overrate the business of being a quarterback coach for a great quarterback yeah sure, <laughs> as, sure. as people who were were tom brady's quarterback coach or or peyton man He's quarterback whisperer. If you remember yeah. Adam Gaze, you know, oh, um, yeah. th- those kind of guys don't necessarily succeed with quarterbacks who aren't Aaron Rodgers or Tom Brady. Or, I guess it or works both, both ways, doesn't it? If you're a, certainly a quarterback coach, but offensive coordinator certainly 
in a team that has either a, a great generational quarterback or a brilliant offensive head coach, it can work both ways. Because oh, yeah. On, on the yeah. one hand, you can be underrated and underestimated because of that. It's like, oh, he's not really... Uh, Eric Bieniemy is a great example, right? He seems to get knocked because of everything around him. Yeah. And, you know, I, I wonder, I still wonder, although you sometimes, you know, who's calling the plays, um, you know, and whether, whether say the coach is only relaying the play from, from upstairs or, or, or whatever. Um, but that's, that's the rap that's certainly hurt um, the enemy. And, uh, you know, Nathaniel Hackett's father was, you know, a very well-regarded offensive coordinator, although his NFL career was, was, rather more spotty in terms of, of success. And, but this is the nepotistic football league. And, and you know, you're going to see a lot more of that going on in this coaching carousel um, mm. th- than you might think. But I wouldn't, I, you know, who knows what Rogers will do, um, but Denver would be a good, would be a good place for him. Um, they've got weapons. They've got a good defense. Um, they haven't hired a defensive coordinator, but that would be another spot where Nathaniel Hackett could probably bring in a veteran defensive coordinator. Um, you know, and, Philip um, style just to level up. Do you think that Hackett, uh, I think it's fanciful to suggest he got the gig because he might be able to lure Rogers to, to Denver. But do you think if it was a close call with some of the candidates that that, relationship went in his favor. Oh, absolutely. You know, and it would not surprise me if they had talked to Rogers, Um, you know, although you're not supposed to talk to him because he's still under contract, you know, in Green Bay. And that's he's not a free agent. That's the thing, you know, but Mm. but um, but he he could be he could be made to be one uh, quite easily, I think. Let's get into the uh, championship weekend and and we'll go with Bengals Chiefs to lead off, particularly as we've referenced the enemy already. And that's where I want to start. The second half offensive performance of the Chiefs, Mike, break it down for us. What was so different half on half? Yeah, you know, I was going to go back and look at the last game and, and, and see what made the difference because my first feeling in the last game was that the officials basically punished Kansas City um, and, and helped Jamar Chase and, and, um, and Joe Burrow. And I, and I said when I was picking this game, you know, the only way Cincinnati wins this game is if they do what, you know, what they did against them the last time, what, what they did at LSU against Alabama and against Clemson, you know, where, where Burrow and Chase just destroy the team. Uh, right. But that's not the way they did it. You know, they, they did it. And I, and I don't make the comparison lightly, but they did it the way Tom Brady and the Patriots beat the Rams as mm. big underdogs in 2001 and got through the playoffs in, in that, in that year, you know, by doing, by doing little things when they had, to, even though lots of other stuff went wrong and by playing good defense. Yeah. Now, I don't know what caused the meltdown in the second half. Um, is it is it residual from that botched last series in the in the first half, you yeah. know, where where they should have come away with it was it was disgraceful that they didn't come away with points, you know, and and between Andy Reid and Mahomes that neither of them had the nous to realize you can't throw Tyreek Hill a pass backwards onto the five yard line and then expect him to make the five yards for the touchdown mm. when you've only got four seconds, you know, left to do. It's got to be a quick pass that you can throw away. Yes. And, and, you know, you, so anyway, but that they came out in the second half flat when you expected they wouldn't be. Mahomes looked like he was a zombie through the through the entire yeah. second half now, there's a rumor kicking around that he suffered a concussion uh, i wouldn't be surprised i didn't see you know 
where that might have been. You know, yeah. nothing jumps out at you as a hit that, that that somehow affected him. But he did look that he did look that way. Yeah. You know, yeah, and, yeah. and you know, and you you know, you, you know, he's not going in and smoking a crack pipe or something at halftime. You know, but that's the way he looked. It, it was like yeah. laid back to the point of you know, and maybe. And I was thinking to myself, maybe it's just well, we'll come back. You know, the Superman comeback is is all set. Um, but that's a really interesting point that what you know whether that is a deliberate. Mental control that he and we've seen him before, and we talk and celebrate great quarterbacks for not being phased and being calm under pressure and not and certainly not reacting to negative things that have happened historically. The goldfish mindset of yeah, we just concentrate on what's in front. Maybe he's taking that to the end, the nth degree and being a little bit too laissez-faire about it all. Yeah, uh, you know, and then and then you get Hardman being, being hit on a fair catch and not getting a flag, and then Hardman two plays later getting hit out of bounds and not getting a flag, and yeah. you say to yourself, "What's going on here?" You know, it's it's like sure he he did a stupid bad acting job, but that doesn't invalidate the foul. I completely agree. You know, and, and fair catch is the most black and white call in the NFL. Right. You know, you call for a fair catch, somebody hits you. It's a penalty, even if they don't mean to hit you. You yeah. know, the only way you get away with it is if you kind of are putting on the brakes and you make minimal, minimal contact, you know, yeah. and, and it's obvious you're not trying to hit him, but the guy hit him anyway. Um, putting then Hardman and, and um, getting at it. Tyreek Hill are getting into yeah, it. On the I think that's, I think that's been something that has not been talked up enough. I reckon that had a, a significant impact. It's bound to, right? You're too, too, you're going at it and just creates, it adds to this whole fractious unraveling. Yeah, who was in control of the offense is the question. Because what can, what Cincinnati did in the second half, not all the time, but but it especially as the half went on, they did it more and more. Was that they rushed three mm. and they dropped eight? They actually dropped seven, but uh, but Hubbard since was he, sort since of he rushed three and dropped eight. Yeah. Yeah, was sort of spying. So it was like a three-one. It would wind up being a three-one-seven sort of, and the two deep. We're staying really deep, mm. but they were flooding the central area where otherwise you should you should be able to to make plays happen. And they yeah. did in the first half. And yeah. and so the crossing routes, the slants that, you know, um, that should have been working, weren't working. And, you know, and and Mahomes made a couple of bad throws when he had the chance to make them work. So that shouldn't be insurmountable for a team with the weapons that, that they have. But Hill and Hardman and Kelsey hardly saw the ball. You know, yeah. in that in that second half. So that would be my, my biggest question is, is is who was who was in charge of the offense, who who got them together and said, look, this is what they're doing. This is what we have to do. It's as if they is as if they didn't notice and they just figured the same old stuff will work. Will work. Um, as a result, so you know, a lot of credit, a lot of credit to the Bengals, and and yeah. you know, I don't, I've never seen a lot from Lou Anarumo that that's yeah. particularly creative or that you that jumps out of you. But this was, I mean, mm -hmm. I think they decided this was the way we we have to stop them. It's it's a it's a great point. I don't think he gets uh, the credit either. It's inevitable, isn't it, with Burrow and with Chase and all of these. Uh, narratives flying around the Bengals being there for the first time 30 odd years. Anna Rumo and the defense collectively has, I think, gone under the radar. Look how effective it's been in, in the playoffs, in this game. On that point, it's you talked about the blueprint that Tampa Bay unveiled and showed to the to the world in the Super Bowl last year of how you get to, to Mahomes, right? This was fascinating. And that and I just would love you to elaborate more on 
this game plan of dropping a dropping in coverage, cutting out that in the middle. Is yeah. Take out the deep threat. Cause the, the, the book before was the deep threat goes and, but the chiefs can beat you by a thousand cuts, but they took out both. Why? That's, yeah. That's, that's what the chiefs, um, the chiefs had reacted to that, you know, in the first part of the season teams were being right. pretty successful with it. Yeah. And, you know, I, it's a, it's a it's in it's a mistake to say that Hill was only a deep threat for them because they used Hill on crossing routes mm. last year. Um, you know, quite effectively. Yeah. You know, you get him the ball in space. It doesn't matter whether it's in front of or behind those safeties. He's going to create problems. Um, so so the Chiefs reacted and they reacted with a lot of running which they got away from in the second half. Yeah. You know, and I think that's the other thing is they, Andy always has been a guy who gets away from the run when he panics, the wrong word, but when he thinks he's down, Mm. you know, but they weren't down, you know, like 27, 10, like the Bengals were, you know, they were down by once, once they were down, they were only down by a little and, you know, um, and and they got away from that. Uh, And, you know, McKinnon was pretty successful. Edward Solaire had a couple of good runs. Although, uh, you know, and, and uh, Williams, and as you say, I, early on, it was all establishing the first two or three drives when they were yeah, unstoppable. They yeah, were but, but you run. get away from that. And yeah. but what I think, what I think, um, teams were unwilling to do, which is what they was to only rush three as a basic tactic mm. against them. And then, and then Hubbard came in and rushed. You know, if 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 he established there was no backfield threat coming out or whatever, then he joins the rush and he was very effective at that. And Hendrickson did a pretty good job. Uh, most of the time they're inter- interior guys with Ogan Jubby gone, you know, yeah. everybody's, but they, they play, they played well enough. So, yeah, I, I think we, we think of, I can think of 10 ways that the chiefs beat themselves, mm. <laughs> you know, and, and if you, if you go to the overtime and the last two drive, you know, the last drive and, in regulation where, where Mahomes took the, the two sacks when they were first in goal, you know, um, and could have won the game instead of just tying it, you know, it, it, they, they killed themselves end of the first, mm. but you know, you have to give Cincinnati credit and not just the kind of emotional, well, you know, we always had the puncher's chance to win or something. They actually played really well. They, yeah. they executed the second half game plan really, really well. Their offensive line, Mike, Burrow sacked only once. Didn't really. The, the, she didn't really get managed to get much pressure on him at all. Well, Why? yeah, they did in in a sense, but Burrow got away from a lot of it. Oh, he, he did. That's know, true. He had, a couple of he big had runs. two. That's, yeah. He had two really big runs in the first half. He had two amazing escapes, uh, including the one where Chris Jones had him twice and, and incredible, did, incredible, and did get him. You know, so so the, there there was that. Yeah, the, a couple of clutch plays, and Burrow's not necessarily noted for his dual threat ability, but he looked, looked pretty decent to me there. But just week on week, and everybody was maybe overplaying the nine sacks, and but the the Titans decimated the line. It wasn't just the sacks; it was the hits. It was, and it held up really well against the Chiefs. Andy Reid, in one of the uh, well, one of the comments he gave to the press afterwards, said that they uh, were holding extra people in for protection purposes is what, how Reed described it. Can you break that down for us, Mike, how the Bengals really managed to, apart from the uh, escapology, how uh, they managed to protect Burrow much more effectively week on week. Yeah. We, we, there's two, two things. Um, One is you keep your tight end in and have him chip at the defensive end on his side. You know, usually you're that, that would be Melvin Ingram that you'd be looking to, to slow down a, a little bit. And Ingram, I think, only had one, really two, maybe big plays in, in the game. Yeah. The other is you keep you keep your back in the backfield, 
Mm-hmm. And you have a back who's a good pass blocking back and and to take away that first rusher who gets through. Um, and but, you know, Andy says that and it, it, it's true to an extent, but Jack Taylor is not afraid to go empty backfield. I think they went empty more than every team in the NFL mm. um, because he thinks we're options quickly enough. And and nine sacks sounds terrible, but you know, my Patreon column last week, I went through the 1966 AFC AFL, sorry, mm. championship game between the Bills and the Chiefs. Yeah, you talked about it on us. When the Bills show. sacked yeah, yeah. yeah, the Bills sacked Len Dawson nine times and the Chiefs won 31 yeah, seven. You know, yeah, you'd so rather, you know, in a sense, you'd rather have the quarterback take the sack than, than you know, commit a turnover or something yeah. like that. Um, you know, yeah. you'd rather have him throw the ball away and not take the sack, as, as we know from what happened to Patrick Mahomes. But, you know, but Mahomes' sacks turned out to be a lot bigger, you know, yeah, and, yeah. and it was like at some point you have to understand that you can't keep pirouetting out of, out of sacks forever, you know, if no, if nobody's open, you know, he ran early and that, you know, if, if you're thinking concussion or something like that, the quick decisions, the decision to run the ball for that first touchdown yeah. was a snap decision, you know, a perfect snap decision. He saw the opening and, and he took it. He didn't make a decision like that in the last part of the game. Uh, he he basically was running around stalling for time mm. because no receivers were open, obviously, but he wasn't making a decision that, oh, I don't see anybody open. I should I'll make something happen, which, which, which would be by going laterally, not 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 horizontal, not uh, vertically. vertically. Yeah. Yeah. That's really, really interesting that his outside of the, the glaze, look, the practical blunting of his of his edge was was absolutely apparent. It's, it's a really good shout. So. In terms of the Burrow hype, inevitable hype, and we've talked a lot this season about his fearlessness, his moxie attributes that you obviously want to see in any quarterback, but tend to be uh, rare and special qualities in a young quarterback. Uh, and he is, given the fact he missed a good chunk of his rookie season, obviously, as well with injury, he's really developed at a pace. But Mike, are you buying into the hype that he is, on the basis of this season and what we've seen, propelled himself into that, top tier uh, of quarterbacks in the league, or should we just all cool our jets just a little bit? Where's Burrow for you? Well, you know, if he hadn't been hurt, he probably would have still been close in that top 10 kind of area anyway. Mm. Um, And in a way being hurt helped him in the sense that he wasn't, he didn't have to play the last half of the season running for his life the whole time, Um, you know, and, and play their way to a, a four and a, you know, whatever yeah, yeah, record yeah. Um, he was able to, he could sit and watch and, right. you know, and, and learn Great that point. way. Um, yeah. And, and I think, I think that wasn't an, a, a negative for him because he came back with idea of, of what was needed, you know, to, to be able to win. And of course he came back with Jamar chase, which makes a huge difference um, mm. because you just see how, you know, he's like a bigger version of Tyreek Hill in, in a lot of ways. He's got that same ability to stop and square to the defenders instantaneously make the catch, make the catch and then put himself in a position where he's facing the guy trying to tackle him. And then he can do do? a move. Exactly. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Or his first and his first spin. So, you know, I I think that draft pick, Mike, when it, when it, were you an advocate of it? Cause it, cause it got mixed. Not really. I mean, and, and I think, um, I, I, in my mind, I was playing down the intangible, um, you know, of, of his and Chase's connection, uh, collegiate performance, because that was college. You remember he burned AJ Terrell in the college championship game 
was it four touchdowns? I think all on AJ Terrell, who's yeah. a good a decent, cornerback, decent corner, you know. Right? And and um, um, I thought like a lot of like I well most ever most draft Knicks, I think we're saying Penay Sewell was there. And it, yeah. you know, you'd rather get a guy who can keep keep Burrow so, upright yeah. than than another target for him. Because, you know, you can get great receivers further down in the draft if, yeah. if you're smart. You know, some of the best guys in the league were second were second round picks. You know, guys taken after and Nikhil Harry, for example, include Debo and and uh, DK Metcalf, and you know, you so you you can get day, game breakers in the second round, or, or and sometimes even lower. Um, but I mean, you can't argue with the success of that. And yeah. you know, I think, as I said, Taylor likes to leave him in empty empty backfields, and I think he basically trusts or recognizes Burrow's ability to make the decisions quickly, which is why I sort of saw a bit of Brady in that because Brady's yeah. greatest strength as a quarterback is mental, not physical. Um, and in his case, it's, it's being able to look at the defense and know what it's going to give him. And in the second case, it's being able to get rid of the ball quickly, you know, to see what's there to be taken and to get rid of the ball quickly and put it in the place it has to be, whether that's leading the receiver to the ball instead of waiting for him to get open and then throwing or, Putting if, if he is open or relatively open, putting the ball in the place where he's either the only guy who can catch it or he can catch it in stride, you know, which is Jimmy Garoppolo's great strength is mm-hmm. supposed to be accuracy, um, you know, and in an offense like my, like uh, Kyle Shanahan's, you have if you put the ball to your receiver when he's in stride so he can catch it in stride, you get the yards after the catch. If he's got to slow down to make the catch or stop to make the catch or reach back to make the catch, then he's not going to get that yardage. Just on that, the the point about Brady and the description of, of why he he's so effective and the, and the kind of quarterback that he is. And again, relating that to Burrow, when you say it's mental more than physical, but then, well, you've got to hit those dimes and the accuracy. That's obviously a, a physical component of of the game. Are you talking more about dual threat legs, massive arm? And where does Burrow sit with those particular? Yeah, massive arm is the most overrated thing in the quarterback world. Yeah. It's great to have, um, but it it can be a limiting thing if you're not accurate in the intermediate and short range and accuracy to me is much more important you have you know you have far more great quarterbacks who had average arms but were very accurate Mm -hmm. than you have great quarterbacks who had big arms but were not accurate um and the other the other problem with having the big arm is that brett Favre or jeff george or stafford to an extent is the issue sometimes you force the issue exactly. You you figure that although that guy is double covered and 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 they're coming they're they're, co- they're collapsing on him, you can get the ball through that narrow hole because you've got such a gun. And that's what the problem with like Jeff George was. He had to wait for an opening and then he would try to fire it in. And and so sometimes as the gunslinger, you can you can do too much. Mm-hmm. So now legs is a different story because the game is evolving. And the mobile quarterback um, uh, is is having a different effect. A a lot of past schemes are now designed for quarterbacks who can throw on the move. uh, And that ability opens up defenses. The run first quarterback or, or the quarterback who looks to run when the pocket starts to break down 
has never been able to be successful long term in the NFL, because to be successful, you have to be able to convert the third downs, third and seven, third and nine, third and 11, third and three. You know, you have to be able to do that consistently. And accuracy is more consistent than running ability mm. because at some point someone runs you down. You're, and you're yeah, dealing durability with better, becomes better, an issue. better athletes. Plus it's a durability issue. That's, that's the long-term thing. So, you know, how long can the bills succeed with Josh Allen playing a run first game like mm. Lamar Jackson? Mm. Lamar got hurt this year. You know, will Allen get hurt? He's big and, and he's strong, but Kyler that, as well, still I guess. gets yeah. you hurt. Yeah, Kyler. Um, you know, I, I just I just don't know if the game will evolve to the point where you can you can do that consistently. But mm. you know, Buffalo got pretty far playing what was in effect single wing football. Um, you know, but with better pass receivers and mm. and and you know, if if you can do that, it's you know, you, you look at Buffalo and Baltimore, you know. If and and Allen is the one quarterback I can recall who's learned accuracy to an extent. Mm. You know, if you looked at him in college, he was wildly inaccurate. He had a first huge year, rookie season, but, as well. and his rookie season you saw it as well. But he's be, Brian Dable, I think, did a nice job of designing an offense where his reads. You know, it wasn't necessarily designed read. Here's your read, and you know, and but the reads were there for him to take and. Um, they they worked on his accuracy. Lamar Jackson is a pretty good throwing quarterback, but I think you see you see the difference there. Where if it's not his first read, he's then going to trust his feet, and and I don't think it's a long term formula for for success. It's Colin Kaepernick in in San Francisco, who's not as talented as Lamar as a passer, um, and may probably not as a runner either. But you know, but it's the same offense because it's the same coordinator, Greg Roman. So I Mike, as you well know, American football coming back to Ireland, Northwestern, Nebraska, Aviva Stadium in Dublin, the 27th of August, 2022. <laughs> Tickets on general sale, I Mike, in March. Now you don't need one. That's grand. That's really grand. That is grand. You're coming with us, so you're sorted. Uh, but the rest of you need tickets. Uh, so collegefootballisland.com is how you get register interest. A general sale starts in March. If you go to collegefootballisland.com, you can register interest and you'll get emails about it, alerts, so you won't miss that because there'll be a flurry. I think the guys have sold a certain uh, amount of tickets to the States, so fans from Northwestern. Yeah, they, they always do, yeah. And, and that over. makes that helps make it. You know, they sell these travel packages to the college team's fans. And so they they show up and Dublin's the best place in the world for that to happen. <laughs> yes, um, they show up and you know, and every taxi driver's got a first cousin who knows the you know knows their first cousin somewhere. It's it's great. Now, uh, two questions though. Um, yes. The website's called Foot Football Ireland, right? Not Football College, Island. Yes. College Football Ireland. Yeah, that's correct. Yeah. <laughs> and secondly, who's Sorcerer Northwestern? Yeah, who, who's Northwestern Nebraska playing? Uh, oh, <laughs> double saucer of milk for Iron. <laughs> oh, wow. You, you did 20 minutes of new material uh, a little bit later. Yeah, I, I you know, that. I need some new, I need some new stuff. It's like, I'm much better, I'm much better you know, in a, in a tag team than I am on my own. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, 
I, I agree with that. Uh, sorry, the Northwestern Wildcat sign, Mike. Uh, most of the Nebraska Huskers. Horn Huskers. Oh, there we go. Hey, uh, before we get actually, before we get on to Rams 49ers, two things I wanted to <laughs> bring up for the Bengals game. No, uh, Icky Wood. What do you have? What do you have against the Bengals? <laughs> no, yeah, I want to spend three minutes on the on the Rams. No, Icky Woods. And the, yeah, I loved Icky Woods. The ick. Uh, did you see it post-game on the field? So he no. high, high five Burrow. Burrow is... Burrow was having his interview. Uh, everyone was celebrating. It was cl- it was the classic Joe. Could we just Joe? Could we, you know, try to pin him down? And then he, just as she got him to concentrate and answer a question, Icky Woods piles in wearing his Icky Woods shirt. I like wearing his own jersey, <laughs> <laughs> high fiving him. So I love Icky Woods. Uh, also, uh, everybody loves Icky Woods. Yeah, I, I mean it's a special one for me because the first Super Bowl I, I remember really clearly is that is that Bengals 49ers. Uh, game from from the late eighties. That's the one that kind of registered in my head. Is that I mean, right. I had you know sense of the the great Bears teams before, but I was, I was t- too young, wasn't really kind of connected then. And that was the first one, and that was a great team, and he was incredible. The other thing up from this game was when when Romo said the Bengals are going to the Super Bowl before it was locked in, <laughs> which was I mean I love the I love the moxie of, of Romo because if that had backfired, that would the Bengals fans would never have forgiven him for that, right? Uh, absolutely, yeah. And no, I didn't see the post game because as soon as the as soon as the game's over, I was out the door with Rufus. Ah, um, yeah. So I could be back in time for the start of the second game. And then uh, when the second game ends, as soon as it ends, I'm diving into bed to try to, <laughs> try to get some. There was a great commercial with Icky Woods. It um, doesn't matter for who, but um, he's at the um, he's at the delicatessen counter in a supermarket and someone pulls the thing goes, you know, number 34. And he kind of goes, that's my number. And, and then he starts doing the hickey shuffle, going to get some bologna, going to get some salami. You know, it's, it's really uh, good. How many personal appearances? I want an over under number from you. How many personal appearances Icky Wood's done since 1988, where he has had to wheel out the icky shuffle for a fee? Um, oh, if, if that number is X, <laughs> it would be like X minus one. <laughs> Like, there might be one where he didn't do it, you know, <laughs> and so, and more power to him. Oh, you know? hey, I'm, it's not a knock. I love him. He's one of my all time favorites. I love him. And it was great to see him. Right. You know, I, I mentioned I mentioned um, in another <clears throat> when I was talking to Chappers um, night on, on uh, his NFL show um, when Ken Anderson was over, you know, and I was I interviewed Ken Anderson. You were there. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And, a, um, you know, Ken was just saying, you know, how how great the fans in Cincinnati were and how much, you know, I said, like, what's your biggest regret? You know, he said, well, you know, really it's, it's, I really wanted to win something for them because, you know, it was such a good city to play football in, you know, and and they were, they were so great. And, you know, I mean, they've already announced there'll be no school on Monday in Cincinnati. (laughs) Love the confidence. (laughs) I thought that's, that's fantastic. We get it. We've got a lot of episodes dropping Super Bowl week. Uh, Propo is going over to LA. So he's going to be on the ground over there and he's going to be picking up lots of stuff there. Iron Mike's in the house. Of course, we're going to be chatting to Ollie Connolly as well. Shane Vereen. We're going to be dropping an episode every day next week. We'll break down the Rams Bengals in much more detail. I get Mike's keys to the game and, and his perspective on how he thinks it's going to play out. Uh, so look forward to that. If you haven't already subscribed to us on whichever podcatcher you're listening to us on right now, let's talk about, how the Rams got it done, why the Rams are there. Let's start with how they managed to diffuse one of the the core uh, components of this 49ers offense for much of the season, the ground game, right? 50 total rushing yards for the 49ers, Mike. Why were the Rams so effective in that part of the game plan? 
I I think I think what they what they did a good job of was penetrating, but holding holding their lane assignments so that Aaron Donald in particular wasn't chasing at all, but waiting for the for the inevitable cutback that defines the the 49ers, um, the 49ers run game. Mm. Now, you could argue that they gave up on that run game a little bit too early uh, and that they gave up and therefore gave up on the play action, because I said this last week, Jimmy Garoppolo is you don't want him having to throw drop back passes to win, to win the game. You, you want to continue the play action. You want him to be moving laterally. And that's something that they got away from. And it made, I think it made their lives much, much more difficult in that sense. But um, by the end of the game, the Rams were having their way with the Niners O line and, and Trent Williams was obviously not, um, one hundred percent. And by the end of the game, I don't think he could actually put any weight on on one of his legs. Uh, but the rest of that line is not a super line. You know, it, it, it's it, people don't people don't give it um, don't give it the criticism it might might have because they are very effective and they work the schemes. That, but it's the scheme that makes the line effective. They they execute really well. But they can be they can be pounded in. Even Alex Mack did. I didn't think had a great game. And you know, um, the snap the, he snapped on the ground. He snapped high, um, and and they got taken advantage of a bit. Having said that, this was a game I thought that both teams tried hard to lose. <laughs> right. um, and, and I'm serious. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. And it's also a game. Both games were games where the officials didn't call many penalties. There were only four, I think, in the in the first game. There were only six in this game. Um, four on the Niners and two on the Rams. And by not doing that, you you remember my mantra on the 49ers, 49ers KC Super Bowl. If you're not going to call holding, you might as well give them the trophy now yeah, sure. because they can't block Nick Bosa. My line after the game was that Rob Havenstein, the right tackle, for the Rams was their leading tackler. He tackled Nick Bosa more than any of their defensive players tackled any <laughs> offensive players from the chief. It was insane how that, and you know, and when they're coming down, this is on the right side. So when they're coming left to right, that's what you see on your TV screen. So you can actually watch it, you know, yeah. get the, get the best view. And it's taking place right in front of the referee. Yeah. Who's on that side of the quarterback. And how it never got called just mm. once, you know, when he's bull, he's got him in a headlock and he's he's bulldogging him, basically, you know, running well, him off. Ask, no let call. Ask, let me ask you this. So you've talked a lot and shown frustration, understandably, over the years about inconsistency, particularly within a right. game. Right. So when refs are calling one thing and then they let it slide another time and then they call it another time. And is it more maddening when that happens as opposed to let's just say the refs which I'm guessing is the only logical explanation here. So we're going to let this stuff go on. And this is, we're setting the rule from the start. We're not going to, rightly or wrongly, we're not going to call this. You on both sides can get away with that level. Is, is that, does that frustrate you more that it's so flagrant and they're allowing them, they're being that liberal or does it frustrate you more when there is wild inconsistency in their, in their well, wild inconsistency is much more frustrating. You know, um, I can live with, you know, I hate it. I, I don't like, it, but I can live with let him play. Yeah. Um, but let him play. You know, 
it becomes like the NBA, no harm, no foul, but there's always harm. That's the thing. Right. Um, you know, there were two plays in a row early in the game and, and Tony Romo was saying, that's great coverage. You no, know? but in, in one, the defensive backs got one hand on the guy's shoulder pull, and then the next one pull it and the other arm around him, pulling him back. And it's not like that's minimal contact. You know, then you have a jersey pull, which usually gets called. I, you know, and jersey pulls aren't always the worst thing in the world, but they're the obvious one. And so, you know, usually that gets called, but they weren't even going going to call that. The the, the one the one besides holding, because my basic point is when you quote unquote let the guys play, you are giving one side an advantage because the other side either is more limited in what they can do, or has more to do. In other words, in pass coverage, it's not an equal battle between the receiver and the defender. Mm. The defender only has to stop the receiver from catching the ball. The receiver actually has to catch the ball. So if you're holding both his hands, <laughs> yeah. let him play let, let, fighting. Well, if you're hand fighting, you can't catch the ball because your hands are busy fighting. It, it's it's okay. like simple. The, the, the place where this stood out to me the most, and far be it from me to suggest that the NFL really wanted to see Los Angeles at home in the Super Super Bowl without a without the stadium being three quarter full with San Francisco fans. It was 50-50, but I take your far point. be it from me. Yeah. But there were three obvious delay of game calls that were not called on the Rams hmm. to the point where even even the announcers <laughs> said, well, they got lucky on that. Oh, the play clock you know, got away with they it. Didn't, yeah, they didn't call it. The clock hit zero. Yeah. The play hadn't been run. And, you yeah, know, yeah. and you know what they say? Oh, well, these referees are old guys and they have to see zero and then they have to look onto the field. Yeah, and by the time yeah, they've done yeah. that, it's OK. But in between two of them in the second half, the Niners got called for delay of game. I was gonna about to ask you, was it I've, I've done a I've done a piece for it's called Thinking NFL. It's gonna be a video piece about the quantum refereeing. Oh nice. And my argument is that like Einstein's relation between gravity and, and time, time speeded up when the Rams <laughs> the Rams had the ball and it slowed down when yeah. when the 49ers did or, yeah. or vice versa. And that to me is is the problem with letting them play. You know, if you're not going if you're not going to call the fouls on one team, you don't call them on the other. It's 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 quite it's quite simple, really. Is that, um, is you know, that more and, likely human error, Mike? I mean, I mean, you're not really buying into it. Not three theory. times. Not three times. So you're you know, suggesting I, that they were said, "Oh, go easy on the Rams." We, you know, that somebody from upstairs has said somebody. That. Somebody thought it was somebody thought that was the way to do it. You know, mm -hmm. don't spoil Matt Stafford. Spoil Jimmy Garoppolo. I don't know. Well, Jimmy, Jimmy's but, done. But, you know, unfortunately, in, in, in San Fran, where I would have thought so. Lance. Aaron Rodgers might go there. You know? Oh, now that would be <laughs> that would be tasty. Give it everything. Uh, do you think he would? I mean, given that the how that draft went down and the vitriol he's carried ever since, do you think he'd just forget I, rolling? I mean, it would be great, but I don't think the Niners could afford to pay money uh, to get yeah. Rodgers while they've got three legs to develop. Would Rogers go? Would it would be wonderful, wouldn't yeah. it? I mean, that's where he wanted to go in the yeah, draft. Yeah, all, those, um, all those years and, ago. And they passed on him for Alex Smith. That's what he would he go now um, because they passed him. And that was that's what I was suggesting. Probably not. But it's West slide. Coast, you know. Yeah. It, yeah. It's... Near it's um, 
But, you know, I mean, I, I shouldn't have ranted about the referees because, like I said, Kyle Shanahan's play calling was hugely questionable. You know, mm. most notably the fourth and two. McVay blew all his timeouts on stupid challenges. <laughs> yeah, um, Stafford yeah. threw an in, Stafford threw an interception, which which Jaquaski Tart dropped. Oh. Um, it was like they were trying, you know, they were seeing who can lose this game more efficiently. Um, and um, you know Let's Ward about- got the late hit on L- yeah. on OBJ, which is a perfectly good call. You know, yeah. finally uh, throw that flag. It, it was a good one. Skaronsky went helmet to helmet on the, on a punt on the next series mm-hmm. um, on a guy who was literally slowing up because the the re- returner had signaled fair catch, and mm-hmm. Skaronsky comes and. Whoosh, takes him out helmet to helmet yeah. again, right in front of an official. Well, not um, cool. He had a big drop but, as well. No call. Mike, what do you think the impact has been of OBJ on this round? Oh, it's what been you, great. Yeah. Talk you us know, through what, how he's, yeah. Like, everybody talks about the big money or, you know, big money, big trade acquisitions. Yeah. Uh, and they all factored in, obviously Stafford, Stafford did Jalen Ramsey did, um, um, Aaron, uh, not, um, Von Miller did, but not not as much as you might have thought. Um, but OBJ is the one who was picked up for a specific Sony Michelle, even, but they don't seem to use him very much. Mm. Um, OBJ was picked up for a specific reason when Robert Woods got hurt. Yeah, they were seven and one at the point that Robert Woods got hurt. They went five and four the rest of the regular season, and it took him a while to adjust to what they wanted him to do. And weirdly where Woods was the big play receiver and Cup was looked at as being just a possession guy because he's quote unquote sneaky fast. And we all know what that's code for. Um, Cup has become the big play receiver and OBJ has stepped into that secondary role of, of, you know, getting a lot of, a lot of the intermediate intermediate routes. Um, And he's done it very, very well. You know, um, McVeigh's good at, at scheming those guys open. You really pay, played zone defense against them uh, at your own risk because McVeigh's so good against it. And Cup is so good at finding holes in the zone. And, you know, a couple of times you heard them say, oh, he's run a brilliant route there, a brilliant route there. Well, he was, he's facing a zone and, you know, you find the hole in the zone. And, he, you know, yeah, he, he, ran a, he ran a fake and the guy froze and he gets extra space, but the space is there to begin with, which mm-hmm. is no, I'm not putting down Cooper Cup at all. Um, you know, but he, he had one drop, you know, j- just to, kind of get into the spirit of things with, with, <laughs> yeah, with they dragged him down with him. Um, yeah but you know i i just thought that this was a game that both teams tried at times to lose and the niners tried harder than the um than the um um than the Ram, than the rams did um uh, but you know big 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 players make big plays um yeah now fortunately because I'd pick the Kansas City as my best bet, of you know, course. both both in a podcast and in my column. Fortunately, Just, yeah. when I did the next game, I said, look, I think the Rams are going to win, but I would bet Kansas City, I, mean, I would bet San Francisco plus 3.5. Yeah, three and a half, one, they? Half which was rather, it, yeah. which was rather prescient of me, I thought. <laughs> and I <laughs> also, I also took... I also said bet Kittle. That was actually my value bet was bet Kittle to score a touchdown at nine to five. And if you're, if you're getting carried away with that, I said, um, take Debo as well. He's even money. So actually that turned into a good day. I would have rather see the Niners win to be honest and be wrong about, about the pick, but it turned into a good day, at least in the, on the, um, 
on the betting side. I had a good day in the edge rush battle, which I know you are second only to Mike versus uh, supercomputer AccuScore. Uh, it's it's <laughs> what everybody's talking about. And I've gone one ahead of, of Propo now because Ollie's Drew Lock of the Week was the over in the Bengals Chiefs game. And my Drew Lock of the Week was Bengals plus seven and a half. So uh, I've, I've, That's I've good. inched That's ahead, good. ahead of the Super Bowl. Yeah. Uh, so- I was kicking myself for not pushing the unders on those games. Mm. I mean, that, that's kind of, you know, re- um, outcome bias at yes. this point. But yeah, but I was I was tempted in both games to take to take the unders and then and then said, nah, well, let, let them play. It's certainly the latter, the second game, uh, that would have been a dangerous, dangerous yeah. road. I think yeah. 50, the 50, what was it? Fifty four and a half. I think, was the, and um, I think it even went up. To, I think it ended on fifty five and a half. Yeah. Yeah. Crazy I mean, that's a lot of points. Mm. It's a chunk of change. Right. Let's talk and wrap on some of the coaching Decisions that have been made. We've talked about Hackett at the Broncos. <laughs> McDaniels goes for his second uh, role of the dice as a head coach after, of course, being uh, in Denver about a decade ago with mixed success. I think the uh, yeah. diplomatic way of putting it. Well, Raiders, Mike, what do you make of this? Hopefully he's learned, you know, as a lot of coaches do from that first experience. And, um, yeah. you know, we, we make a lot of Bill Belichick's former assistants not having great success. And, um you know, part of that is that you you're not Bill Belichick, so you, so you people don't buy into your system right away simply because you you were a Bill Belichick guy. Um, I think McDaniel's has probably learned to get away from that, and he's moving in. You know, because you, you have to you have to teach you have to bring the system into guys who aren't used to it. Mm. Um, and whereas Belichick simply trains his assistants from within the system, so everybody everybody's bought is on the same. It's page. on the same page. Yeah, Mike, Mike but, have you, you ever know, read the Nate Jackson book, Slow Getting Up? No, I never did. Actually, I remember Nate from from um, Worldly tryouts mm. he, he was in the trials and he got hurt I, if i if i remember right so yeah. he never actually played in in the world league but but yeah um, it's a really yeah, big 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 wide receiver mm. um who i thought showed a lot of potential you know yeah well bill walsh go, was, a, if he went was to an the, advocate of his he as he talks about how walsh early on and because he was at a, a division he went to like menlo college yeah, exactly. or some, exactly some little right. place like that god yeah. you've got a good memory mike yes exactly where he went to and, and as a result he wasn't highly touted but walsh was an advocate and, and helped him get in the into the mill and and, and he got a gig but he, he obviously was at denver and uh, when mcdaniels took over and there's a really interesting not for very long which is kind of the point <laughs> the point of the story but there's an interesting passage in the book where he talks about meeting McDaniels for the first time. And it's, it's an earnest book and, and very forthright. He doesn't pull any punches and uh, he's quite critical and damning of McDaniels, but it, I think was illustrative of and emphasized the, the immaturity that at the time McDaniels had and this sense of taking on a big gig, particularly if you're a wonder, wonder kid coordinator outside of anything else. It's just dealing with people at that level when you're the top guy. And I, 10 years on McDaniels, you would hope would be more of a a, a seasoned operator in that. Yeah. I I think that that's probably right. And that's, that's applied to, you know, not to Romeo or to Charlie Weiss or guys like that, but, you know, to, to the Matt Patricia's, um, you know, Mangenius had that, first good year and with the jets and then i think the same thing sort of happened sort of happened with him yeah um because you have to have the players respect um you know and and you earn that basically by treating them 
by treating them like like adults and and you know by by convincing them what you're doing is good now well the interesting thing to me about this hire and the same applied with the new york giants um hiring brian dable mm. is is first they hired a gm in both cases associated with the coach so you know you could have read that as the um as the signal as to where they were going so dave ziegler who um who McDaniels brought in, he was a college guy from, you know, friend from John Carroll, which has produced now a lot of NFL coaches um, going back to Don Shula. Um, but he brought, they, they hired Ziegler and that was a sure sign they were going to, to get McDaniels. Now it was funny when he was saying how the Raiders were, you know, the only organization that could get him to leave new England. And, you know, it's like, Oh yeah, Bob Kraft, Mark Davis. I can yeah, see the I can see the similarities. Yeah, you know, um, but but put that put that aside. Um, you know, so I I thought that was you know that that was pretty interesting right there. And and the same thing happened with Joe Schoen and Dable. You know mm. that they had a long relationship because Ziegler McDaniel's had brought in at Denver. Um, you know, his first hire, um, as a scout, I think, and and um, Schoen and Dable both came down from Buffalo, so that that sort of uh, applied as well. And you know, um, with the with the Vikings hiring a guy from San Francisco, I wouldn't be surprised if if they looked at the 49ers for for their head coach because that um, obviously Minnesota is still still open, Houston. Miami uh, and the Saints. All the still, Saints are open. Jacksonville's yeah. still open. Jags as well. As well. So yeah, where, but nobody course, wants to go. Nobody wants nobody to go wants to Jacksonville. Last shot. Is that the last? I'm what? seriously. Uh, apparently, um, a couple of guys turned it down because Trent Baalke. Yeah, you know, they said, "Well, can I bring in my own general manager? Because I'm not going to work for Trent Baalke." <laughs> um, I think Jim Caldwell might have been one of the guys who did that. Um, yeah, yeah. yeah. Where, but where, um, where, you know, I, I think that, it's interesting. Think, well, because I thought it's a, it's a tough one. It's a tough one because um, Dable was it the last two for the yeah. Draft. I mean, uh, I, I I was I'm as I said at the time I was shocked that Miami fired Flores. Maybe yeah. and there might probably some kind of internal tussles going on there, and he lost. Um, um, I don't know if he would want to take a defensive coordinator's job for a year or whatever and and reestablish himself but you know he would certainly be a good choice for somebody like McDaniels if i were McDaniels at the raiders i'd bring vic fangio in as my defensive coordinator so i could play he could play denver twice a year um <laughs> especially if rogers is in denver um and you know what that's it no, I said yeah, smart. I mean, I, I think that would be great, you know, um, but I, I don't know if that will happen. Um, the, the obvious thing in New Orleans would be to promote Dennis Allen, who's done a really great job. Seems as a to be what defensive coordinator for a couple happen, last yeah. few years. And he's been a head coach. He was a coach in Oakland, if I remember right. Mm. Um, yeah, briefly. Right. not successful. Um, so. Yeah. So, so, um, you know, that, that would be the obvious thing The the thing that you might want to hesitate or might make them hesitate is, to be continuing Sean Payton's team without Sean Payton, mm. you know, whether you want to move in a different direction, you know, no, knowing that you're in a mess, this is a, this is a tough job. I mean, Alan might take it simply because he's there and he understands it, but that, that job is a mess right it's now. That, you don't really have attractive. a quarterback. They're in salary cap hell. Yeah. Right. Um, you know, they've got a lot of guys who are going to be free agents. It's, you know, Minnesota in a lot of ways, I think Miami, um, is where Jim Harbaugh is going to wind up. Really? Yeah. Why? That, that's that's my guess. Yeah. Why is that? Why do you feel that's the? Um, well, I've heard, um, and I'll give. I should give credit here. 
because Mike Lombardi had a conspiracy theory about it, hmm. but that the Minnesota thing was all is all a, a sort of screen, smoke screen, hmm. so that he can leave Michigan with no ill feelings hmm. um, because uh, what's his name? Steve Ross at Miami is a Michigan alumnus uh, and, okay. and a big donor. So if, mm. if Steve Ross says, look, Harbaugh was going to leave anyway. Yeah. You know, right. He's looking at Minnesota. If I yeah, hire him, it keeps it in the family. It's in hot. effect, I think that might, that might be effect. Although somebody put up a picture of Harbaugh, a gif of Harbaugh for some mm. reason, and he's got his Michigan hat on. I think, well, if he goes to Minnesota, he doesn't even have to change his hat. Cause the, the initials the same. I <laughs> uh, love that. Uh, and Miami as well, technically, right? If it's <laughs> in Miami, it works as well. So that, you know, that, that's it. The, you just keep that big M on. Um, I, I mean, he'd, he'd be a good hire, you know, whatever you say about him, you know, and, and having two Harbaugh's in the same half of the United States. Well, they are in the same half now, so that doesn't work. But, you know, that might be more than the NFL can bear. But but because um, they are, you know, that that whole whining and complaining and coach's son kind of thing, you know, um, just gets to you. But but, you know, he's a winner. He's a proven winner at the NFL level. Um, I warmed. I watched and, the, the All or Nothing Michigan series, which is what probably from four seasons ago now, something like that. Um, Ed, I warmed to Harbour after that. Actually, having watched that, I liked him more at the end of it than I did when I when I went. And- yeah, I can I can see that. And and college football for some guys is it's 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 not just coaching. For a lot of college coaches, it's recruiting. You know, mm. Ed Orgeron won a national championship. Not because he's a genius coach, because he's a genius recruiter, mm. you know, and not only bringing in great players, but seeing players to bring in. Joe Burrow was available because Urban Meyer couldn't see that he was a, you know, a great quarterback and probably and better than Dwayne Haskins. Although, in fairness, for what Urban Meyer wanted to do, Haskins probably was a better choice. Mm. Um, but, you know, but, you know, that that's the thing you the, the job in college football is pleasing a lot of 17, a lot of 18 year old kids and, and conning them into, you know, like, like um, television evangelists, te- conning them into, you know, signing on with, with your team. Look at mm-hmm. Dion, Dion Sanders, you know, and getting that kid to go to, to Jackson, yeah, yeah. to Jackson state. Um, but that's, that's a big part of the game in the pros. You don't really have to worry about that so much, you know, mm-hmm. although there is now a bit of, of wooing of, of players that that goes on, you know, um, especially because you can talk to them before the tampering, uh, while the tampering deadline. I mean, I I talk about the quantum NFL, right? There's a, there's a spot where it's illegal to tamper, but now you can tamper as long as you don't can't tamper too much, (laughs) you know, who decides it's too much, you know, it's just, it's just bizarre. It's like you can, you can't hold, but you can hold as long as you don't gain a, a, a significant advantage, you know, well, what's a significant advantage, you know, isn't holding an advantage. If you're, if one player is allowed to hold the other one, you know, isn't that an advantage? It's, 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 the mind bursts when you think of the opportunities um, that are available to influence a game, mm. you know, very subtly, but, but do it, you know, mm. and, and, and in a league where fantasy sport and, and gambling are now official sponsors of the league, you know, it's like, it, it wasn't that long ago. Tommy, Tony Romo was told he could not go to Las Vegas because yes. yeah, yeah. for a, a memorabilia yeah. convention that they were paying him, you know, to kind of 
show up and sign jerseys and stuff mm. because it was Las Vegas yeah. and there was gambling. Now they got a team in Las Vegas. <laughs> it's what, 10 years a, later? You know, they got a team in Las Vegas. They got official gambling. They got the draft in Las Vegas. <laughs> it's so it's such a quantum universe that they yeah, live in, yeah. you know, where everything depends the the um, what's what's the line from Heisenberg? The the um, the act of observing the act of observing changes the object being observed, uh, which is when you're dealing in quantum mechanics, which are subatomic particles. The mere fact that you insert some sort of energy force to measure what's going on in there changes, uh, changes what's going on in there. <laughs> and you can apply the same thing to life. <laughs> you know, if Mike Pereira looks at something and I look at something, we see two different things. <laughs> <laughs> but if Mike Pereira falls out of the woods, did it really happen? Yeah, I actually, I actually, I actually um, uh, tweeted Mike to ask about the McCall Hardman thing on the. How did that you know, go? I said, does does bad acting negate a foul? Mm. And if so, does that last for two more plays and negate the second foul? <laughs> and he never answered. But but actually, other people picked up the tweet and said, "Yeah, Mike, how about an answer?" Yeah, you could, because I mean, this is something that is we see it a lot in in football. That the histrionics, uh, particularly if a player has a rep, which in, in in this case isn't necessarily the case, but has a rep, uh, you know, rep of diving and rolling around and and turning it on, it can work against them in terms of the call. So it's a really yeah. interesting point. Oh no, I, I get that. I get that completely. But the, the, the problem here is that it was such an obvious, so it, no, it automatically yeah. called foul. Yeah. I'm not disagreeing it, that even when it, if, if using my example in football, if, if, if somebody's rolling 25 yards after the foul, if he's been taken out, it's a penalty or, or freak or whatever, you know, it's as, it's as I wrote in that, that, horrible world cup final between the netherlands and mm. and spain where where the english referee bottled bottled the whole match early on and turned it into a joke mm. um but the pain in spain lies mainly in the fame <laughs> <laughs> yeah uh vintage stuff carlson patreon.com forward slash mike carlson fmte is where you that's right uh, you can find me as michael carlson over on medium oh yeah like i and, said i think on um yeah thinking you're on nf Thinking NFL as well. The medium, the medium. Thinking NFL, like I think I'll have a piece up there soon. On 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 medium, it's not always football, but but um, the last couple of things have I wrote about John Madden and I wrote about um, um, the uh, Brady's retirement, uh, and they're in the Patreon column. But but uh, so you know, there's such a lot of other stuff in the Patreon column. I just thought I'd expand and get it out to a wider a wider audience. Do it. Um, you love Iron Mike. So do it. Go yeah. get involved. Subscribe to that. Patrick <sighs> Mike Carlson, FMTE. You're on front row this week as well. Later on this week. I'm on front row on Thursday. BBC Radio 4 at 7 o'clock, I believe, um, the review show. And we'll be talking about the eyes of Tammy Faye Baker and a wonderful recently rediscovered novel called, called They mm-hmm. by Kay Dick which is actually a kind of um, dystopian science fiction book written in the mid seventies. Um, she was a writer and, and publisher and, um, and set in Sussex. Um, and it's beautifully written and it's very kind of creepy. It, it's, 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 um, it's, it's, it's a world where these, these people just sort of appear and take away books and, 
and take away art and punish people who are committing books or art. Um, but there's no explanation of why. That it's not like Big Brother. It's not the government. You know, it's just sort of like even more sinister zombie-like people who who do this. But they have control to do it. Nobody's fighting against it. It's it's a fascinating book in a lot of ways. And she's now my second favorite science fiction writer named Dick. <laughs> Behind Philip K. Dick, presumably. Behind Philip K. Dick, <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. But it's a, it's a, yeah, it's, really a, it's a, it's not that different in in the actual strangeness of the world that's being described. But it's written in such a beautiful way, you know, where Dick is more straightforward in in his writing. Um, so, yeah, my my top ten power Dick <laughs> list. Crescent of Dick, Crescent of Dick is certainly li- is is um, is Where'd currently you? lying at two twenty thousand nine hundred twenty one. <laughs> <laughs> what about Dick? Dick's Sporting Goods. <laughs> Dick's Sporting Goods. Outside the top 10, but, you know, their, their ads keep them near. Their ads used to keep them near the, the top 10. The, you know, the actual, they're, making, they're, they're complete hipster label now. All the yeah. kids are wearing them. It's under, it's under, it's like Dick's Sporting Goods and Thrasher. Thrasher, which was a, a metal magazine in the 80s and yeah. 90s. Yeah. Now everybody's just wearing Thrasher. They have no idea that, what it's, it's so bizarre. And when, when I was working for baseball and, and we were trying to do marketing deals with clothing companies one of them was fubu Mm. and and fubu was really big um oversized sweatshirts baggy baggy pants the usual this is like this would have been in the early 90s i suppose yeah and fubu stood for for us by us Mm. meaning the black community because it was it was a black owned business and somebody asked me in one of the meetings what does fubu stand for and Mm. i said Fool, you be ugly. <laughs> <laughs> well, what was their response? They looked at me, they looked at me <laughs> like I had like I had just motored in from Mars <laughs> and landed landed in the meeting. You know, and, the and, idea of you at any kind of position of authority just <laughs> I, I did this a couple of times in my career, which is probably why my career stalled. But when I worked at ABC, I was in Seoul for the Olympics. Yeah. And the president of ABC Sports and the vice president, our Olympic vice president and our um executive producer and I all met up at the Shilla Hotel where the IOC was meeting. And the IOC meetings were to choose the um the sites of the next Olympics. So they were going to listen to the presentations and and um we walked by in the lobby, Bob Helmick, who was head of the Internet uh, U.S. Olympic Committee at that point, but he was head of the Swimming Federation. He walked by and said, hi, Bob. He said, oh, hi. And Dennis Swanson, my boss, goes, I've been doing deals with that guy for five years. He still doesn't know who I am. <laughs> I said, well, that says more about Bob than it does about you, Dennis. Anyway, so someone comes along and they sneak Dennis into the presentations for the Winter Games. And we go to the bar and... An hour later or whatever, Dennis comes back and says, well, you know, one of the guys says, hey, Dennis, you know, how did it go? He said, oh, they were good. You know, um, Osterson, Sweden was amazing. They even had the king there. And without thinking, I said, Elvis was in Osterson. <laughs> Jerry Lola was. <laughs> <laughs> and again, I just got this look, you know, it, it's like the one guy who thought I was funny <laughs> was still looking at me like I was from Mars because how would you, you know, why don't you have a control on your mouth <laughs> that stops that from getting out? <laughs> and the other guys are just looking at me like, what planet are you from? It reminds me of this. That I was watching uh, the episode of The West Wing the other day in the, one of the final series when they're on, I think that by this stage, the presidential campaign and Josh is running Santos's campaign and they have the DNC uh, are all coming to try and get a, a cut of the media budget. And Josh makes a cracks a gag 
uh, to which falls completely on deaf ears. There's silence, but because Joey Lucas, who is the deaf pollsters? Oh, Joey, I love Joey. She's great, she's great. Yeah. And she's Josh, great. Josh is such a wimp. I mean, he uh, he really missed the boat there. Could have, yeah, John, on a number of occasions as well. The uh, Amy is it Amy McCormack. I want to say as well. Who anyway? Oh, hate can't stand her. You don't like Mary, her. Mary Ellen McCormack. You don't like her, Mary Ellen McCormack. No, don't like her as an actress. Didn't like. Oh, Amy Gardner's the character, isn't it? Amy Gardner. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I disagree with you on that. Anyway, the so he cracks the gag. Just dead silence. Uh, they're all to stare at him uh, because Joey Lucas is also sitting around the boardroom table and is having the the joke signed to her right. uh, by someone. That's his brilliant four second pause, and then you hear her laugh. She's the only one. <laughs> <laughs> what did I say? Yeah. What did I say? She's great. You know, <laughs> Marley Maitland, uh, Marley a Maitland. friend of mine, acted in the movie with her. And although he was mostly cut out of, of the movie, but he worked with the theater of the deaf, which is why so which is why he was there. And I said how much I liked Barley Baton. And he, he said, I can see why. He said, but she's a handful. <laughs> <laughs> I will leave that hanging there. She's terrific in the West Wing. Either way, she is. She is terrific. Um, Brilliant stuff. Mike yeah. FMTE. Uh, Mike Carlson, FMT, even it's the Patreon column going involved with that at Carlson Sports. And you're back next week to preview the big show. OK, whatever you want. Look Did you say five days? Yeah, we're dropping five. Well, yeah, five episodes over five. Oh, days. oh yeah. not me for five days. Five, five days live, like an old school telephone. <laughs> <laughs> That's what we're do. Like That's the six good. hour, like the six, the 24 hour, or the six day bicycle races. <laughs> Let's do it. See you next week, bud. Okay, maybe I'll go. On, maybe I'll go on like a, a vigil, you know, uh, a filibuster. <laughs> I'm gonna. I'll filibuster the Super Bowl. Oh, that's amazing! Yeah, just do it. I right, Mike is gonna start on Monday and keep talking until the Super Bowl starts. The Stackhouse, the Stackhouse filibuster, the Carlson filibuster. Let's do it. Podcast Network.